Hi friend, I'm Stephanie Weitrup and you're listening to Be Fearlessly Authentic. This is a podcast for all aspects of life, faith, and purpose, grounded in the hope of the word of life itself. We're going to get real because life is messy, but it's also really meaningful. I'm so glad you're along for the ride. Welcome to episode four of the Be Fearlessly Authentic podcast. This is the third episode in our Flip the Script series, and today we're talking about healthy debates. Um, Not something you probably want to hear about right now because debates are tearing at the souls of every person on social media, wherever you fall, on whatever political or religious beliefs. Debates are really toxic right now. But that's exactly why we're flipping the script. So I'm so excited you tuned in today because mostly, yes, I'll share the blog post, but mostly because I got to have an amazing conversation with one of my dear friends, former leaders, just someone I really look up to. I always say I want to be her when I grow up, Dina Davidson. And she's really someone I see as an expert in the whole topic of having healthy conversations and building better relationships. So sit back and relax, enjoy your walk or wherever you are. Here first up is my blog post and then don't go anywhere because the conversation is definitely something you won't want to miss. I just want to say that if you made it to this page or this podcast episode, you deserve a round of applause because you are entering into a space that is very hard, especially in this season. Debates all over, every other post you see, every tweet you scroll past, every family gathering. It's hard to even get through a normal conversation without entering into a, who are you voting for? Or they should not have shot him. Or who's most like Jesus anyhow debate. I'm not here to tell you to stop. If you know me, you know I love a good debate, but it's got to be healthy. So rather than telling you to cool it on your debates, I want to encourage the art of healthy debating. While debating gets a bad reputation, there are many great reasons I believe it's a crucial part of our human connection. When you hear the word debate right now, though, you may think of that angry uncle of yours who can't bite his tongue around you, or your friend who suddenly only cares about political agendas. Maybe you yourself have a hard time holding back. We're all kind of tired right now because it's so negative, but does it always have to be? Is debating really the problem, or have we just lost the art of communication? Debating is what so many might qualify as our greatest downfall right now, but what if we flipped the script? I'm going to get right to the point here. Debating has become more about proving your own point rather than seeing someone else's, and that's where we have to start. There are a few simple benefits from healthy debates, and once we understand the benefits, we can find basics to creating safe, healthy, and encouraging debate environments, whether online, over the phone, or in person. So let's start with the benefits. There are three that I'm going to highlight right here, but obviously there are books on this topic. So number one, it builds stronger relationships. I shouldn't need to explain this much, but the whole goal of talking to each other is to grow in our relationships. Get to know each other more, share stories, live life together. Debates are a natural overflow of the passions within us, so we should use them as a space to draw out the God-given passions we each have to better strengthen our community. 
Number two, it shows us our own pitfalls and places we need to grow. I know this one is tough to hear, but the greater the conversations with others are, the more we may begin to see gaps in our own hearts or minds. We all have places we need to grow, and healthy debate can help hold a mirror for us so we can see the areas we're missing information, inspiration, or empathy. The final benefit is it can, when done well, bring more unity than tension. This sounds impossible given our current climate, but I strongly believe it is possible. If we take some of the practices listed here into consideration the next time a debate comes across our screens, we may just find that the debate brought more peace than strife. There are three tips that I just want to highlight the next time you decide to enter into a healthy debate or maybe into an unhealthy debate and you want to turn it into a healthy debate. Number one, seek to understand, not win. You've probably heard this before. The goal is not to win the person to your side, but to better understand them where they are at. Jesus modeled this so well in the way that he let others come to their own conclusions after asking them questions. Which brings us to the next tip. Number two is ask questions with the intent to listen, not respond. Even if you already know their answer, give them a chance to respond because how they answer will be more revealing than their actual response sometimes. And finally, let every aspect of the debate draw you more to who the person is rather than simply what they believe or why they believe it. This one is the most important. Maybe I should have started with it, but I think they all have to go hand in hand. While yes, healthy debates are focused around a topic, and it is important to keep that focus, we can't forget the most important part, to find unity within each other. When unity is the goal, the person becomes more important than the problem or the perspective. When I hear people discussing their view on pro-choice, while I don't agree with it, I seek to see more about them as a person in order to find a sense of unity in our relationship, despite our starkly different opinions. I know this is just a little taste. It's just one of those things that I see far too often as painted with a stroke of negativity right now. And I thought it was time to flip the script. People are so hesitant to express their passions because they're worried about starting violent debates. Others start the conversation, but they they or others don't know how to handle themselves. So the post inevitably gets deleted or many friends get blocked. While debates can be messy and unrelenting at times, my greatest hope is for a world that learns how to converse with each other and learn more about our beautiful differences in the process, instead of getting so wound up that hatred becomes the default. While it may feel improbable, I'm still holding out for the day when we can look at our posts on social media, our family gatherings, and our phone catch-ups with friends, where instead of slamming the door, we can say, now that was a healthy debate, and we are stronger friends because of it. Well, I'm super excited because today we have Dina Davidson, who um, is the Thrive School Discipleship Director. And if you don't know what Thrive School is, it's an amazing leadership program. And I actually did it right after high school. Um, for two years. And honestly, so much of who I am today is all thanks to Thrive School and the efforts that Dina and the team put in. So I'm just so grateful for Dina and the relationship we get to have. Um, And I brought her specifically on for this podcast episode where we're talking about healthy debates, having really hard conversations, and how to come out of those conversations with better friendships. 
um, because I know she's had some really hard conversations, even with me. So, and I've come out of those conversations feeling so um, just her grace and just even better friends from it. So welcome, Dina. Uh, thanks, Stephanie. This is like a dream come true, being on your podcast. Since I feel like I knew it was going to happen one day, um, maybe before the world did. So thanks for having me. I, I don't think I knew it was going to happen one day. So nice soul. It was <laughs> Dina's very intuitive. Um, okay. So just before we get started with all the great, great questions, um, Tell us a little bit about you and your family. What's life like in the Davidson household? Hmm. So that's fun. We just put my daughter, Riley Grace, down to bed. And so, yeah, like 10 minutes before, I was singing songs and reading Disney books. So I'm married. I've been married for nine years to Shane. Um, We co-lead Thrive School together. So it's a really fun, like, ministry slash marriage balance. And then our daughter is two. And we were really worried that in quarantine, she was just going to suffer, but she's living her best life right now with her parents hanging around so much. And yeah, so she's living her great, greatest life ever. Love it. Having a two-year-old in quarantine. (laughs) We have gotten, we've been so inventive, Stephanie. Like (laughs) our favorite thing to do is we take the couch cushions off of the couch and we make an obstacle course. Yes. Our living room is a wreck, but it's a really fun wreck. Okay, what are three fun facts that maybe not everyone would know about you? Um, Fun facts. One is probably how many countries I've traveled to. I spent two weeks in Japan when I was 16, Um, went to Italy for our honeymoon. I married a seven on the Enneagram. So while I am a deep homebody, he just loves to travel. So we've gone to England, Scotland, Australia, New Zealand, um, and we're always planning more trips. Wow. Yeah. My job is I find the Airbnbs. He does everything else. Yeah. (laughs) Plans all the fun excursions. That's awesome. I guess that was only one. Um, Second is I have a deep musical theater background, so you might catch glimpses of it in (laughs) maybe my theatrical expressions or hand movements, but I feel like most people don't peg me as the musical theater person, maybe more the intellectual. And third fun fact, um, this is maybe more just like a surprising fact, is I prefer movies over books. I, oh, I, I know that I'm is surprising offending you or something <laughs> I I just like I'll take a really great movie over a really great book any day and so yeah I don't even I don't even understand why because I love to read so much but movies get me in such a deep place I get that actually my husband is a five on the Enneagram and that's like oh, fives love books, but he's so much more of a movie buff. Like he could tell you everything about movies and does all the deep dives, but books, eh. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. I love fives. Literally some of my favorite people are fives. They're very knowledgeable. Oh, yes. Yes. So great. Um, okay. So then I just think your like career path is so interesting. So can you share with people like, what you studied in school, um, what maybe you thought your career path might be, and then where you're at right now, a little bit about Thrive School. Yeah, there were some zig and zags, for sure. Um, Wanted to be an actress, and then when I was 16, I felt um, God inviting me to do vocational ministry, and um, ended up just saying yes, and saying that I thought that would be an amazing life. So I thought I was going to do ministry, 
ended up going to a secular school because it was free for college. So I went to the University of Nevada, Reno, tried a bunch of different majors. And the one that I enjoyed was philosophy. <laughs> that was a real curveball in life. And just, it's just probably like the most non-Christian degree, um, at least from the outside, it looks like that. But I loved studying the deep questions. There is something about contemplating the nature of reality and whether we have freedom and what constitutes morality that just, I, I just had fun. I enjoyed those classes. So I majored in philosophy and thought for a while, you know, maybe I'm going to become a university professor and I'll, you know, be a Christian university professor, or maybe I'll, you know, witness to people at a secular college, but still felt really strongly called to ministry. And so kind of came to this crossroads where I kept pursuing philosophy um, through getting my master's in Christian apologetics, not because one day I wanted to teach on apologetics. Honestly, it was just because after being a philosophy student for a few years, I had so many questions and I just wanted to hear the Christian side of, um, of the arguments and debates. So I went and got my master's in Christian apologetics and then ended up interning at Bayside Church for the college ministry. We fell in love with ministry, just confirmed that while I had a foot in the, in the university, a foot in the door in the university, and a foot in the door in the church, um, I just really, my heart desired to be in the church all the way. And so my passion is to be a bridge maybe to the university or a bridge to the secular world, but I've devoted my life to um, the church and strengthening it. And so today I get to lead kind of both worlds in a really weird way, but our program combines university education with discipleship and a ministry internship. So yeah, I guess my encouragement to anyone who's really perplexed about the direction that their career is taking is, you know, study what you love and pursue what you're passionate about and God will take those zigs and he'll make a zag and set you on the path that he always was intending you to be. I love that. That's so good. And I love that you just had this like heart for more questions. You had more questions. So you had a heart for understanding and just like kept going at it. And I think that's actually really relevant to this conversation about conversations um, because so many times people just stop searching for the answer and then decide like this is where I'm at and then get so bent on that specific opinion that they're not willing to hear or understand or listen to the other side. So um, that is totally why I think that this topic was right up your alley. Um, and I know like specifically in Thrive School, you've had some conversations with students or even other leaders where it's like really just hard conversations, different perspectives, different opinions um, about life choices specifically, but faith too. Um, so I just to kind of I mean, talk about conversations and emotions are so high in these types of, I mean, specifically talking about debates today, we're thinking all the political debates because we're in an election year um, and all the other debates about things too, but there's so many emotions in that. And I think people are getting so afraid of those tough conversations. So what for you comes to mind when you hear the word debate? Like, is it something you want to run towards? Is it a good feeling, a bad feeling? Does it depend on the day? What comes to mind? Yeah. I mean, from my background with philosophy, a lot of negative connotations come up. Um, 
I am so a strong believer in, um, and just, just the fact that you can literally make a great argument for anything. I mean, as a philosophy student, there are really powerful arguments that you and I uh, don't exist right now. And that if we do exist, that we don't have the freedom to have this conversation and um, everything, it, we're kind of living in a matrix world. There's just a real, there's a really good argument for every single thing you want to believe. And so I, while I passionately believe in the power of argumentation, I do think we have to assign it its proper value. And that is that argument doesn't determine truth. Arguments and debates are one way, and not even the only way, but one way in which we can access truth. So it doesn't determine truth. The winner of a debate doesn't decide whether something is true or not. It's just one of the ways that we as human beings can get closer to the truth, hopefully, if we do it right. Yeah, that's awesome. That, I think, is just one of those great things to keep in the back of our mind. You know, everyone's screaming like, your truth, speak your truth. <laughs> and and just like not coming in with that mindset of, no, this is the only way. I think that's really, really smart. Um, is there a time you came out of a really hard, heated conversation that didn't end well um, because either you or the other person went in with the wrong mindset or just wrong tactics even? Um, and if you did come out of it in a negative way, how did you resolve it if you did? Hmm. Yeah, all the time, by the way. <laughs> Specifically, the one that sprang into my mind um, is while I was working in college ministry, I met this, this guy and he was an atheist. And because of my philosophy background, you know, I didn't like run away. I leaned in and was asking him a whole bunch of questions about why he was an atheist. This was probably our fifth conversation. We just started meeting weekly on Sierra College's campuses, just sharing like our ideas and trading thoughts. And honestly, Stephanie, I just, I kind of just reached my limit of being um, put down. Just his particular way of communicating was kind of like, your faith is irrational and there's no good reasons to believe what you believe. And everything that he said was a slight dig um, that I perceived at my identity. And I got so fed up that eventually I just did likewise. I literally just laid into him and 100% won the argument and demolished the human being. Like I, I won the argument, but lost the person. And I remember walking away and feeling so great about myself until God started talking. And I ended up having to go back and apologize to him. And it was so humiliating. And he was like, you did nothing wrong. And I'm like, yes, in your morals, <laughs> I did nothing wrong. But based on my Judeo-Christian ethic, which says I'm supposed to treat people like I want to be treated, I treated you the way that you were treating me, which was so frustrating to me. So yeah, I, I've definitely, I've had so many, I've had so many moments in my life, Stephanie, where I've seen the power of words. And that I am able to absolutely demolish another human being forcefully by logic and by argument, argumentation. And I've seen firsthand just the wreckage that that can cause and the guilt that that can cause when, you know, I speak careless words. Wow. 
Yeah, I I can totally feel it. I love that I'm convicted that you just went back and apologized. Like it actually it's so hard to swallow that sometimes, but it's actually a really simple step to reconciling when something is wrong. And it's a step that so often we just don't want to go toward. And yeah. And sometimes I think even just the perspective of like, I grew up and I was so sarcastic. I am sarcastic. Um, but when I was younger, my, one of my older sisters was just always offended by my sarcasm. And mm-hmm. I didn't think to get in her shoes and think of her perspective. I instead was just like, well, you're so weak and, you know, it's stupid. Why wouldn't you just laugh at what I'm saying? It's just sarcasm. You know, I was just so harsh about it. Um, and now as we've gotten older and kind of started to understand each other more, I I get that A, we're different. Right. But also I need to learn to be a little softer. Gentle was one of my words in Thrive School. And <laughs> I have a giving key that says gentle. Yep. Because yeah, it's just one of those things that I tend to have that harder outlook on things and other people don't, which is a beautiful thing. And together it actually makes so much better, like better relationships with both perspectives. But I wouldn't be friends with my sister right now if Mm -hmm. I just kept running her over with my words. So yeah. And I think, I think there is a place for harsh words. When I read the Bible, there are so many moments where Jesus is incredibly harsh. And there are so many moments where, (laughs) where Paul is just really blunt and really harsh. And both of them had an excellent command of language and they used it to drive their point home. So I think there is a, there is a place for harsh language. Um, but I know for myself that that place is just so much less than I think it is. Mm. Like it's, it seems to be our culture's go-to. Whereas I think it was Jesus's, um, it was just kind of what he did very infrequently. It was not his, primary mode of communicating with people. Yeah, that's so true. And I think that I think of people who are like naturally very kind and soft-spoken at first. And when they speak those true harsh words, you take it a lot more to heart because it's not their natural motive. It's like, wow, they must really mean that because they, they are kind and caring And I see that all the time and now they're being really stern. And so that's actually a lot more powerful when that's not the default, but it's still a part of, yeah, our conversation. It's just white noise. Yeah. You're always, you know, yelling at me for something on your social media. Like, yeah. Yeah. Unfollow. (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh. Wow. Um, Okay. So speaking directly to the heart of debates and people with opposing views, controversial topics, all the things we're seeing on our news feeds. Um, One of the things that I talked about in this blog post about healthy debates is that just the importance of remembering the outcome of deeper understanding, better relationship, not necessarily like you were saying, the outcome or the goal of winning. Um, Because even sometimes when you quote unquote win the conversation, it doesn't always feel like a win. Like you said, you walked away from that conversation feeling like, okay, I technically won the debate, but I didn't really win the person. And I love that just as something to keep in the back of our minds. Um, So what's a tactic that you use to help 
engage in debates with that goal in mind um, or what's something you purposefully try to avoid? Yeah. I mean, the first thing is for any productive conversation, productive debate, we have to truly hear what the other person is saying and respond. And I think ineffective debates are where people are talking past each other. Effective debates are where we are exchanging ideas, we are commenting on those ideas, and we are working towards the common goal of, of coming to an agreement. Like that's a healthy debate. And so one of, one of the practices I have, which was taught to me in a, one of my apologetics communications courses, is before I critique any view, I have to find three things that I admire and agree with. Mm. And that initially was just so <laughs> like, I don't agree with anything with Richard Dawkins. <laughs> you know, like, I just don't. But the, I, it formed in me this discipline of saying, you know, people, people are smart. People are made in God's image. And I need to be able to find the aspects of truth that are hidden in their message. Even if I disagree with 90%, there's going to be 10% that squares with what I believe as a person and squares with what God's word teaches. So I think that's the first thing is before you disagree, like your permission to play in the conversation, my permission to play is that I have found three things that I agree with and that I can acknowledge are valuable things that they said. Um, so that's something that I do. Something that I do to avoid unhealthy debates is I really take to heart, um, there's this book called Crucial Conversations. Can't remember the author's name, but very famous leadership and communication book. And they say that basically every hard conversation you're fearing having is, is a crucial conversation. There are some conversations that have a disproportionate impact over the future. And we have to steward those conversations well. I think about all of the conversations that we're having right now as a culture. These conversations have a disproportionate influence over the future. Mm -hmm. And so we must have these conversations well. And based on their research, they identified that there are two things that basically are like oxygen to a crucial conversation. If either of these two things are absent, you cannot have a productive, good, crucial conversation. So the first is safety and the second is respect. If at any point either party in the conversation feels like I'm not safe, I'm being attacked, um, I can't trust myself with that person, conversation is, you know, even if it continues, it's done. You're not going to be influencing that person's opinion. And the other is respect. You know, it, like oxygen, when it's, when it's there, no one notices it, but when it's gone, it's all you can think about. And that's one of the things they share in the book. And so I, I actively try to avoid conversations where I can see there's an evident lack of safety or there's a lack of respect. And if I ever feel like the person I'm talk to, talking to, like let's say I'm talking to you four years ago or five years ago, how, like seven years ago? Seven years ago. Oh gosh. Seven years ago, Stephanie. So I'm yes. talking to 19-year-old you, maybe 18-year-old. If I feel like you believe that I don't respect you as a person, I'm just going to call pause on the whole conversation until I can establish firmly that I do respect you as a person and that you're safe with me. 
because I know I'm not going to influence you. I'm not going to have any impact on you except to make you frustrated if I can't help you understand that with me, you're safe and that you're respected. So I try to avoid those conversations where I'm, I'm not safe and I'm not respected. And I try to create conversations where the person knows that they're safe and that they're respected with me. Wow. That's really powerful because I typically just honestly um, go into conversations thinking only about the one side. Am I respected? And do mm-hmm. I feel safe? Right. And I don't think about me respecting the other person or making them feel safe. So that just totally shifts everything. And I'd say the more power you have, like if you are a leader, if you are a parent, um, if you're in a social structure where in any way you have a perceived or actual higher status, the burden is on you truly to create that safety and respect just because of the natural dynamics of the way human beings are created is, you know, a kid doesn't think I need to help my parent feel safe. Like if they do, something has become messed up in that dynamic. And so, yeah, yeah, the higher you grow in, in stature, whether in your organization or just interpersonally, or, you know, you're the father figure of the family, really that burden falls mostly on you to create that safety and respect. Yeah, that's really good. Um, what is the best advice you would give to someone um, when entering a difficult conversation? I mean, you just gave a lot of great advice, honestly, but um, maybe something simple, whether that's all simple, I think you could, we could all do that. But uh, in today's climate, especially, I mean, we're all scrolling social media and I know, especially for me, like I'm someone who wants to enter into all these conversations. Like I get excited about debates. It's weird. Um, but I, I also am learning my tendencies, you know, where I'm getting hung up and where I'm getting frustrated and where, who I'm not respecting or who I don't feel respects me and all that. Um, so what is like, maybe specifically to social media, like what's just one piece of advice you would give to someone when they come across these long comment threads where you could just spend a whole day getting into debates? I think the filter I use is, does this conversation serve my calling? Mm. And I mean, that's like a tremendous burden for us to know our calling, but I know that there are certain things that God has assigned me to do in this season. He's called me to be a great wife and a great mom. He's called me to be a great daughter and encourager to my nuclear family and extended family. I'm still getting used to being married and my new, <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? I'm sure. Yeah, you know. yeah. Um, he's called me to disciple 62 students, 20 staff. That's a big, like already that's a lot. Yeah. And then there are some specific passions on my heart where I know when I see someone post on social media about their church hurt, I know that's a conversation I'm called to be a part of because God has put a passion in my heart to help people love the church. When I see people posting things about things that I have no idea about or that I just am like, that's wrong. I totally disagree with that. I just have to ask the question, does this serve my calling? Because I don't want to put energy and effort into a space that doesn't serve what Jesus has called me to do. So that's why, honestly, I love, you know, trolling you on (laughs) social media, Stephanie, 
Cause you're like jumping in all these conversations and every time I'm like, she's so brave <laughs> but <laughs> or stupid. I don't know. <laughs> one of the two, I, I think it's brave and it's beautiful because if everyone, you know, it's just like me and is like abandon social media, <laughs> like read a movie, like watch a movie, read a book, then literally we're abandoning the, the culture. And I, I'm not for that, but you know, social media is not my calling. But if it's yours, then fully engage. That doesn't mean you have to respond to every single post, but it could be God puts three issues on your heart and says, this year, Stephanie, you're going to engage in these three issues and you're going to go deep and you're going to go hard into every single time you see someone post about this. Um, Run it through that filter. That would be my best, most practical advice. You do not have to comment on everything. I absolutely disagree with the sentiment that um, silence is agreement. And I, I just think that's a really dangerous thought because the Bible says that we must be um, quick to listen and slow to speak. And social media is a place where it is very easy to be quick to speak and slow to listen. There's no accountability for listening on social media, but there's a lot of accountability for speaking. And I think that's the exact opposite of what God calls us to do. So sometimes I think silence means a lack of care and a lack of participation, but just as a blanket statement, that can't be our filter. We can't, we can't deal with the pressure of having to have an educated godly opinion on every matter that comes across our social media feed. Our mm-hmm. souls were not meant to carry the weight of that. Oh. I will confess to you, I have like no idea what is going on in most of the world. And I feel like 5% guilty about that, but 95% okay with that because I am pressing hard, really hard into what's happening in California. I'm pressing really hard into what's happening at Bayside Church and I'm pressing really hard into what's happening in my home and what's happening in my heart. And I feel like a freedom to let other really talented leaders in other geographical zones or with different callings speak to the issues um, that they're called to speak to while I just guard my own issues. Yeah. Wow. I really hope that like for whoever's listening, that that is just a release, you know, for the burdens. Cause there is such a burden that so many are carrying to like pay attention to everything, get involved in everything. And then you know, you're just stretched to a point where you're not really giving anything 100% of you. Um, yes. Yeah. And I'll just, I think I'll just say like when I'm scrolling social media and kind of trying, I love that filter. Um, and I'm trying to think through those conversations that I should get involved in. Mm-hmm. Finding the ones that I am passionate about, the ones that I do feel called to has taken a little bit of trial and error where I'm like, oh, I really want to get involved in this conversation. And then I'm, you know, few comments in and all that. And I'm like, yeah, no, this is really not, I'm not the person for this conversation. Um, so, you know, if, if you're listening and you don't know what conversations those would be, that's totally okay. Um, one thing that I've learned sometimes the hard way, um, is the best way to respond sometimes is not responding. And hundred percent. And it is so hard for me. Like there is a comment that I have not responded to on something in the last few days. And I keep thinking about it. Like I have to respond, you know, like I want to. 
Um, but I haven't felt the confidence in what I would say. And so I'm just not responding and I have to be okay with that. Um, I'm totally going to pull up something that you said in another podcast episode I was listening to where you were being interviewed and you mentioned this idea of um, before you respond to something, if your heart is racing, then you just know that you need to wait to respond. And that totally convicted me (laughs) um, in the best way, but, but I've been thinking through that filter too, because I know that I'm either too angry, too excited, too just I'm I'm too amped up, and um, what I say has not been thought through. If I'm still in that space, um, so thank you because that has been really helpful for me in this social media world of all the debates. But amen. I literally use that so many times. I'm like, my heart is racing. Shh. Yep. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Yes. So good. Okay. So last question. Um, I'm just throwing this out there. I didn't ask the last guest this, and I think I'm just going to start asking guests this now. Um, this podcast is called Be Fearlessly Authentic. Um, so one of my hopes is that as people listen week to week, whenever I end up posting episodes, um, that they would feel a little more encouraged, inspired, equipped to be fearlessly authentic in their own lives. So I would just love to hear from you um, as we wrap up, just what is either an encouragement to someone, how to be fearlessly authentic in their life, or a way that for you, you've learned to do that in your own life. So good. Well, as the first person to answer this, I'll give the first and best answer that you'll ever receive, obviously. Of course. <laughs> so, uh, no pressure. I would say the thing that has been the absolute most transformational for me in being fearlessly authentic is to have a small group of women that I have a particular rule with. And my rule, you know this, Steph, you're in one of my groups. Um, I, have one gr- I have one rule for my small groups that I'm in. And that is, if you think I shouldn't say this, you have to say it. And being, I think it's been like five years now, I've been in, in a group, the same group of women for five years, and we've obeyed that rule. There have been so many moments where I showed up to a small group at like 6 a.m. in the morning, and I thought to myself, I shouldn't say this. That's not something a good Christian would say. That's not something a good wife would say. That's not something a good mom would say. Um, That's not something a good human being would say. And normally, with everyone else, I would filter that out because that seems like a really good thing to do is, you know, not say everything. But having some people in my life that I have the discipline of saying every single thing to has been transformative for me in so many ways. Um, One, it's given me the courage to know that there are no hidden parts of myself that people will reject me because they just really don't know this part. Like I have a group of people that knows like every ugly, dark secret. Like there's just nothing I hold back from them. When something blows up in my marriage, the first year of marriage, I would have been like, protect our, you know, relationship. Now I just go straight to those girls and I don't complain to them. I just confess to them. I'm like, here's what's going on. And that has been huge for me. It's helped me to taste the grace of God 
and it's given me the freedom to be myself in every other zone of my life. So you got to find some really trustworthy people. <laughs> so yeah. That'd be like a whole different podcast <laughs> is to tr- actually trust that level of yourself to some people is intense, but having that discipline is, is just been crazy transformative for me. That's really good. And you know what? It doesn't have to be always publicized for the world to know. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's yeah. something I think our culture forgets is it can just be with trustworthy people in a small circle. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's like some type of torture to have to tell everyone your deepest, darkest sin. Um, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's okay. I mean, for some of you, that might be a calling. Mm-hmm. But that's, in general, I think not what God calls us to do, is to have to post our laundry list for everyone to see. God's a lot more kind than that. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I mean, this conversation was super fruitful for me, just to take away navigating these rough conversations that are coming up every day. But um, I just so appreciate you, and I'm so excited for all those who are listening. I have to say, every time I have one of these conversations with a friend, I am just overwhelmed with gratitude and convicted, heavily convicted, and just excited that you get to listen. So I hope you got something or multiple things out of this conversation I had with Dina. And I know I say this every time, but I really do hope that people are out there listening. Obviously, you are right now. So if you liked this episode, if you feel like people need to hear this conversation because maybe it could actually help us turn a tide in some of the debates that are going on in our world, please share it. Um, The easiest I would say to share is from Spotify, but if you're not on Spotify, you can be creative in how you share it. Text a link to a friend, um, whatever that looks like for you. But I'm so grateful you guys tuned in today and I look forward to bringing you more conversations um, in the next few weeks about flipping the script on negative things in our lives. But most importantly, I hope you found something to encourage you and inspire you to be fearlessly authentic wherever you are. Mm